The word multimedia is the use of a variety of artistic or communicative media using more than one medium of expression or communication. Café is a type of establishment that serves coffee and is known as a place where information can be exchanged. The following is the audio version of the Multimedia Café. Happy Monday to you folks. Welcome to the Multimedia Cafe. My name is Jason Spies. Thank you folks for pulling up a stool and joining the conversation here at the Multimedia Cafe, a place where you never know who you're going to run into or what we're going to talk about. And of course, the Multimedia Cafe. Let me give you a quick overview of what exactly the Multimedia Cafe, if you're joining in for the first time here on the radio stations, or perhaps you're downloading one of our podcasts via iTunes or the Crude Life Media Network. If you go to the Crude Life, you can access the Multimedia Cafe every day. Of course, go there uh, and check out our radio stations as well because this is a podcast that is so darn good it's on the radio. And Multimedia Cafe, what is it? Well, we've embraced modern technology and all of its different forms. So... Interviews take place over the phone, over Skype, maybe FaceTime. You know what? We even do the face-to-face interviews here. We go old school here at the Multimedia Cafe. And you know what? I also want to thank you for choosing us for your content. All the interviews here are exclusive, so we can assure you that. And secondly, we understand there's a million places out there to get your content. When I say a million, I mean it. I mean, you can get your news and information almost anywhere. Uh, A few years ago, I was in New York City. And I saw sports scores on taxis as they drove by. So there, I got my sports scores from taxis. The other day, I was filling up at the gas station, and Steve Harvey is on the uh, gas pump giving me news via video feed somehow. So uh, thank you very much for choosing us for your content here at the Multimedia Cafe. We're very grateful that you've chosen us. Okay, what do we got going on today's program? Interesting program today because we're going to talk a little farming Little David Hang with the Red Bullet Farms talks about the ins and outs of the dairy cow business. And then on the flip side, we've got some calving uh, with some uh, Black Diamond Cattle Company out of Wheatland, Wyoming. Runs down uh, Jacob Manley, the owner-operator, talks about calving and artificial insemination as well. I tell you, it's very interesting stuff. It is. And then Doug Voisin with PharmaSafe Industrial Services. Uh, We talk a little safety in oil and gas, prevention, of accidents in the workplaces and really what their energy companies are doing to try to be ahead of the curve and and quite honestly they are so we've got a great show lined up today um i can't wait to get to these uh dairy interviews these cow interviews i always love going back to the farm and checking out a few things david hang coming up just right around the corner here in the multimedia cafe my name is jason spies and you are listening to the multimedia cafe Lonely hearts whisper things you can't feel. When will I touch ground so I can start over again?
hear me I've been falling on none Breaking through the atmosphere Burning while I'm holding on <laughs> When will I touch ground again? Start all over, start all Jason Spies, the most trusted voice in the Bakken. I totally agree with you, and the word that you brought into this is fact. You tell the facts, and then you let people make up their own minds. If you want someone who's competent, you don't want to get a bunch of rookies. Love listening to Jason Spies on the radio, and if I miss him there, I catch him online. Let's bring in Jason Spies, who is a multimedia journalist in North Dakota. Um, Jason, what's your thought on this? No one does an interview like Jason Spies. Welcome back to the Multimedia Cafe. My name is Jason Spies. Thank you, folks, for pulling up a stool and joining the conversation. And also, choosing us for your content because the Multimedia Cafe, you never know who you're going to run into or what we're going to talk about. Well, coming up next, we're going to talk about the dairy cow business. We talk with David Hang with Red Bullet Farms. My name is David Hang, and, and uh, I guess I run uh, Red Bullet Farms LLC. So, And uh, what kind of cattle do you raise uh, or uh, sell? I, I custom raise uh, dairy heifers. And uh, what do you mean custom raise? What does that mean? I take a, a heifer from a dairy and I bring it on the place and I raise it up, I breed it, uh, artificial inseminate it, and then at, at 200 days pregnant to go back to the dairy. Are you calving right now? I don't calve. They calve at the dairy. Okay, and so you're, you're kind of the, the mi- middle ground for the cows. Pretty much, yep. That's what I do. And, and where are these particular cows going? These are, yeah, majority of these are owned by Kojo Dairy out of uh, Grove City, Minnesota. And then I also have another dairy, 100 Cow Dairy, that's my neighbor, Ackerson Dairy. They have, I raise their, customers their dairy heifers also. Ackerson, is that a a Fargo-Moorhead or is that a Wilmer? Uh, Ackerson is Barnesville. Barnesville, okay. As I say, I've heard that name. Okay. Um, Describe the process of feeding these these, uh, cows. Well, I get them at between eight and nine weeks of age. Uh, and I, they go into my first barn, and they're on a, a full corn pellet mix until 350 pounds. Once they hit 350 pounds, they come over here. They go onto uh, what we call a TMR, total mix ration. And I have uh, four different pens in this barn, and as they get bigger, they just keep moving down the, the, the pipeline, I should say. Once they hit about 750 pounds, they go back to my place. I breed them. Once they're confirmed pregnant, they go to another pen, and at 200 days, they go back to the dairy. Uh, do you use that hay buster uh, equipment as well? Yes, yep. And that's the preliminary for the TMR, is that right? Yes, everything gets, all, everything gets ground up through, through that, that goes through the TMR. Does that, does that hay buster make it a lot more easy? Oh, yeah, you cut hours a day uh, feeding. Money, too? Money-wise, because you can, you know, we'll grind, you know, we grind enough for two, three weeks. And if I would dump a whole round bale in there, it would take an hour to process it down. We're now at takes five minutes to make a mix. And as far as the TMR part, um, is, is that pretty easy to do as well? That's the vertical part, is that right? After the hay busting, you got the TMR, which differs a little bit from what you might put in for the, say, Angus, correct? 
Well, yeah, my ration is different than a beef Angus. It's more of a grower ration where a lot of the beef, you know, they, it's more of a finishing ration. Um, the TMR, you know, you dump all your feedstuffs in there, so I dump all my hay, my wet distiller's grain, my beef pulp, silage, whatever I have available, and it mixes it all up, and it's a nice uh, ration. And it, the, the theory is every mouth, uh, you know, full from beginning to end is the same. How long have you been doing this? Oh, I've been in cattle the whole time, or, you know, my whole life. But uh, doing he- dairy heifers, I've probably been doing it about 10 years. Um, you, like, you like doing da- dairy heifers, or is it, you like black Angus better, or what do you think? No, I love dairy heifers. This, this is, I got the best job in the world. Uh, picking rocks? You ever pick rocks? Oh, I pick many rocks. <laughs> was it, would you call that your first job? Uh, well, yeah. yeah. <laughs> uh, there's a lot of many first jobs. And uh, how old were you when you first drove a, uh, drove a tractor? I was six years old. Would you would you let your six year old drive a tractor? No. But back then things were different. I know. <laughs> Roger Johnson told my son he was seven, and my son's eyes got as big as pies, you know. And so I thought I'd I'd start asking people these questions. You know, Johnny Cash, he ran a sawmill at what age? You know, of course his brother died, but yeah, yeah. Anyway, well that's all I got. Thanks, man. Appreciate yep. it. Thank you. And that was David Hang with Red Bullet Farms. You can check out that interview or other exclusive interviews at thecrudelife.com. The Multimedia Cafe is part of the Crude Life Media Network. All of our information can be found at thecrudelife.com. My name is Jason Spies, and this is the Multimedia Cafe. Make a little room at the top for a regular joke. Cause, man, if they leave it up to me, brother, I'm going to be exactly who I've always been. The same old guy staying drunk till I die, man. Over the past few months, I've told you about how unbelievable Hatch Coaching is. Well, don't just take my word for it. Listen to what Greg Tavine of Emerging Prairies has to say about Hatch Coaching. Yeah, I mean, this guy gets people laughing. He gets people thinking. He, he's somebody that challenges and inspires. And, and what I think is so beautiful about Eric is he's real. I think the number one thing that I look for in speakers when we bring them into our platforms is that they're that person 365 days a year. Eric is not just a speaker on a stage. That's, that's who he is at the grocery store. That's who he is when he's at the mall. Uh, but, but Eric is somebody that lives his values each and every day. And I, I think we can all respect that. To find out more about Hatch Coaching or to have Eric Hatch speak at your event or company, visit HatchCoaching.com. That's HatchCoaching.com. Or call 701-212-1572. That's 701-212-1572. Welcome back to the Multimedia Cafe. My name is Jason Spies. Thank you, folks, for pulling up a stool and joining the conversation here at the Multimedia Cafe, a place where you never know who you're going to run into or what we're going to talk about. Coming up next, we talk with Doug Voisin with PharmaSafe Industrial Services. Good morning. My name is Doug Voisin, and I'm with a company called PharmaSafe Industrial Services based in Lafayette, Louisiana. I am the Chief Operating Officer. And let's start off by talking a little bit about uh, what your company does. What do you guys do out there? Well, this company was formed in 1998 as a medical supply company by two paramedics that worked offshore on the oil and gas rigs in the Gulf of Mexico. There was a need for reasonably priced medical supplies being sold to the oil companies that had people working offshore. So they formed a little company out of their garage, uh, grew it like a, a lemonade stand, you know, a little bit at a time, 
and eventually that grew to a pretty sizable company along the Gulf Coast serving probably 350 oil and gas clients for medical supplies only for about six years. At some point, uh, many of their clients began to request that they provided personnel. And in uh, late 2005, early 2006, they decided to make the jump into providing paramedics offshore and safety techs and clerks. And the company grew exponentially since then, obviously, because band-aids are a lot smaller revenue-wise than, than personnel. And uh, since, since then, we've been a player in the Gulf of Mexico and internationally, providing remote industrial paramedics, HSE techs, clerks, logistics coordinators, and uh, still medical supplies, but medical supplies is a very small part of what we do now. It's mostly personnel. I was going to say, it sounds to me like it's a little bit like emergency services on some aspects. Uh, what, um, what, what, what sort of sub-niche do you fall in, I guess? Because you, you mentioned it's not so much the supplies as much as the labor. So uh, talk a little bit about kind of how that would be classified within uh, the industry. Well, it really falls in the, in the safety sector. Um, since the offshore uh, environment is a very, very safe work environment. You know, the policies are strong, the companies have robust systems in place. There isn't a lot of incidents that take place. So our people are cross-trained in a function that is either HSE-related, which is a full-time function, uh, they're a rig clerk, they're a logistic coordinator, and then if they are a paramedic, when an event occurs, either an illness or an injury or something as simple as I got a headache or I stubbed my toe, they put on their paramedic hat and they treat the patient and keep them out there working and help manage that case to keep it from uh, elevating to a level of a recordable. Um, if they're working on the HSE side, obviously there's plenty, plenty of task and duties in regard to HSE compliance in the offshore environment and it keeps them pretty busy. And once again, if, if uh, the need arises, they, they function as a paramedic. So we could really cut our teeth with this dual role situation in the beginning, but over the years, because of the slowly increasing safety regulations, our roles have become much more HSE-centric than clerk-centric in recent years. So it falls under the HSE category. What are you seeing for... Uh, needs out there in terms of is there any certain area that you're either either you knew it was going to be there um, or it surprised you that boy we're certainly going on a lot more calls that uh, involve XYZ does that question make sense yes um, what's, uh, well obviously the, the Gulf of Mexico has been flat for the last couple of years and it's it's Based on our sources, it's still going to be flat for the next uh, few months, maybe into two ni- early 2019. So what we see, we're, we're blessed. Our pizza pie of uh, business sectors is, is divided up into a lot of pieces. We don't work in any one sector. Uh, we have currently nobody working in drilling because there's nobody doing any drilling. But we work in the plug and abandoned decommissioning sector, which has been very busy. We work in the ROV subsea sector where many, many companies are working in that sector, providing uh, subsea support to install and remove and inspect different devices that lay on the subsea floor. 
um, regular construction of uh, construction repairs of offshore facilities. We do a lot of work on permanent production facilities. These are facilities that exist and have had, have existed for many, many years that are a hub for supply services, you know, coming back and forth and, and uh, oil pipelines and things, as well as some other boats. Uh, a few diving jobs still exist and, and things like that. So uh, to say that we knew where to place ourselves, it's probably wrong. Um, we were lucky. The company developed a lot of relationships with a lot of companies early on by selling band-aids and Tylenol, and that led to, I guess, a, a very diversified portfolio of clients, which has really helped us over the years. You mentioned offshore a few times. Um, I was going to ask you about other shale plays. I don't know if you're in any other shale plays um, onshore at all, but you've also mentioned international, so just kind of... Um, Outside of the Gulf, what other areas do you guys provide services to or do you find yourself uh, being called out to? In the offshore sector, we've worked uh, all over the world, uh, West Africa and, and all that area. We work quite often in South America, Trinidad, Brazil, uh, Ecuador. Um, that's that's pretty much the uh, the scope of our services offshore. Because offshore has been so slow the last couple of years, we have been uh, working in some of these shale plays, and we opened an office in Midland, Texas, and uh, we're very busy over there. There's a lot of need for what we do uh, in that area, uh, training, HSE support, uh, case management. So we've, we've been... Uh, with the, with the Gulf is not giving us in, in revenue, we're hoping to get it from the uh, the Midland, Texas, the Permian Basin. How about when it comes to third-party regulators, whether it be OSHA or whatever maritime law regulators you have to go through in offshore part, but uh, what kind of relationships, either from the navigation side between the energy companies and the regulators, or just you with the regulators, Talk to me about that relationship, how it works with uh, you and the regulators, because I imagine they're probably on your speed dial and vice versa. No, actually, we don't have a lot of uh, communication back and forth in, in, with, with the regulators at all. Um, the, uh, we're involved, I guess what's interesting about what we do, we have a pretty robust safety program in-house with our company, with each of our personnel may work uh, standalone for XYZ Energy Company. So we work under their programs and we function as uh, an extension of their HSE department. So in regard to that, uh, we don't have a strong line of communication with, with regulators. And, you know, honestly, with the amount of activity that exists, even at this level in the Gulf and on land, there's not a lot of day-to-day -day involvement from regulators. Uh, it's mostly them being responsive to significant incidents that happen. But most of the companies that do work because of the constraints put on them by the operators have a pretty robust robust program and uh, don't see the regulators much. And, and I'm pretty sure that they don't have the, I guess, the staff to, uh, to saturate the market. But we have very little interaction with uh, regulators. Well, I think that's a positive sign if they're not out there as much as 
as much as I've seen in other areas. So, um, well, that's good. I see. I, I learn something new every day here. Um, that's good. Good sign. Um, uh, last question before I kind of let you have the floor a little bit, and it's kind of talks a little bit about how, you know, I kind of had that mis- misconception there a little bit, and it has to do with, I call it the uh, evolution of the oil and gas industry, the changing of the oil and gas industry, if you will, from the jobs uh, to the sub-industries to a lot of the different things. And safety is one of those that I've seen become a major uh, component from in or on, under the oil and gas umbrella, if you will. Safety, I've seen... Uh, grow from a regulation side, I guess, more than anything. That's why I kind of lumped you in with the uh, with, with the regulators. So uh, I guess I wanted to ask you a little bit about how much the industry's changed from your perspective. Um, what you know, you've seen kind of this job market change a little bit, and you've seen kind of the onshore, offshore, especially if you guys are opening an office in Midland and finding success early on. Uh, have you noticed the, the industry kind of changing a little bit, uh, either or evolving? Oh, yeah, I believe that's a true statement. I think the industry evolves uh, significantly um, from personal experience. Mr. Doug Voisin, I'm going to ask you to hold that thought for just a moment. Doug Voisin with PharmaSafe Industrial Services, and we're going to continue the conversation when we come back. My name is Jason Spies, and this is the Multimedia Cafe. Well, I've told the truth, yeah. We all do what we do so we can survive Now I was two years old when John Lennon died Welcome back to the Multimedia Cafe. My name is Jason Spies. Thank you folks for pulling up a stool. And joining the conversation here at the Multimedia Cafe, a place you never know who you're going to run into or what we're going to talk about. Well, coming up next, we're going to continue the conversation with Doug Voisin with PharmaSafe Industrial Services. Oh, yeah, I believe that's a true statement. I think the industry has evolved uh, significantly um, from personal experience. My first job offshore was uh, I was a wireline helper uh, right out of high school and I went offshore. And uh, the, the things that were done during those time periods in the early 80s were just, uh, we're seen as just completely ridiculous now. So, for the culture change, it has changed 180 degrees. The companies we work for, and, and I guess it's a self selecting sample for us, and here's why. If a company is not interested in being compliant, safe, and taking care of their employees, they don't call us and, and they don't engage us for our services. So the self-selecting sample part is that companies that are committed engage companies like us to add value to an already existing robust safety program. And that's who we want to work for. And there's plenty of those companies. Unfortunately, there's still a few companies that don't believe that and they're just looking for the dollars and they usually don't last long. And unfortunately they, they st- we still do hurt people out there. So, um, the, the folks we call on have a already in place robust system. They're looking for just an extra set of eyes to help them with their program or do additional training. The amount of training that the uh, all companies do, especially in, in what we're experiencing now in the Midland area, is is it's really really 
robust. They do a ton of stuff, and they're they're hiring employees. The, the volume employees, that they, I think we met with the uh, Chamber of Commerce in Midland a few weeks ago, and they estimated that almost 40,000 people would be entering that area in the next 6 to 12 months. Those employees, 50% of them needed a full training suite of what it takes to get a, a person from no experience to entry-level experience. And that's, that's significant investments for every one of those companies. So we're, we're excited about where the industry is from a safety culture standpoint. And that's not saying we don't have room to improve because we all see the, the headlines of accidents that happen. They had one recently and where, where some people lost their lives, and that's unfortunate. So it, it shows you that there's always significant room for improvement. But um, we're pretty pleased about where the culture is and, and those companies that are engaging us and wanting to do better and send people home the same way they showed up at work and protect them for their families. So it's, it's, a, it's a good industry. And, and unfortunately, externally, the people that don't know anything about the oil industry still somewhat view it as, you know, big bad oil, like, you know, since uh, Macondo and some other things that have happened and all the the protests against certain types of activities and all. Uh, I think the, the general public has uh, a bad perception of the oil industry for a variety of reasons. But I can tell you from firsthand experience, they're, they're, uh, they're as, as committed to safety as any, any Google or any automotive plant uh, and, and probably more. So we're happy about that. Well, I've said this for a while now. Um, what I've noticed over the past five, six years is the oil companies are the last hope, in my opinion, for accessibility to uh, anybody outside of the energy industry, really. I mean, the politicians are very difficult to be accessible to. A lot of the leaders are. And the oil companies are still the most localized people around. I mean, they're still the ones attending the, the local meetings that are making the changes because it's all their employees and the cafe owners that are, are reliant on a lot of the different energy companies and that sort of thing. And that, that's that been a revelation over the past few years. And we have on this program talked about the polarization of a lot of the different conversations. And you mentioned oil and gas getting a bad rap. Well, it's tough when, you know, you start lumping in politics with energy development because energy development's more about evolving culture than it is about politics. And when, when I start to see those things, that's why on our program, we've done a hard push on saying we're non-political uh, because we want to just talk about the, the, the changes in the industry and the facts and how a lot of, like, for example, what it is you're doing is changing the industry and that sort of thing. So I'll, I'll let you comment on that or you can say next question or however you want to respond to that, I guess. So. No, I, I agree with what you said. Uh, <laughs> um, no, no real comments other than I, I believe it's, uh, I, I believe we've, we've turned the corner a little bit in regard to uh, perceptions and we just need to keep moving forward. I think, uh, I think the energy companies, especially the bigger ones do recognize, because if, if you think, if you look back and you look at the, uh, just the, the media marketing and the advertising from the major oil companies in the last, let's just say, 24 to 36 months. 
it has changed greatly to a more personal family jobs environment type approach and I think that's important and it's an important distinction from from before you know um, born and raised in Louisiana my, my entire family was connected to the oil and gas industry my dad was a land manager for a large uh, oil company and land company in Louisiana his whole career and he retired and all his friends did the same or similar things. So it's very important personally to everybody in Louisiana, just like it's extremely important to that mom and pop coffee shop in Midland that was struggling to make it with their eight or 10 customers a day. Now they can't keep, they can't keep up. So it, it, it has a, a huge value to the economy. And the only, you know, there is a perception too that the only people that benefit is big fat oil companies. That is not the case at all. You, you go right to a place like Midland, Texas, in the outskirts of the city, and a, a farmer that had a, a, a plot of land turned it into a, a campground for people coming in to work in the oil industry, and he's making more revenue than he could ever imagine and having a nice retirement because he's got uh, 10 campers set up on his property and providing a, a living for his family and his, and his grandchildren. So there's there's some other pieces and parts of this that uh, they're kind of lost in the translation when you just say, you know, you're against big oil or whatever. It, it, I think everybody benefits, and uh, I don't think that's talked about enough. I couldn't agree more. That's why we like to focus on those types of things on this program because that's – that's what it's all about. I mean, really, to me, that's why I fell in love with this industry was because that that's the type of stories you see where it truly brings out opportunity and it truly brings out innovation. And it's so organic. And to what you do, transitioning back to what it is you do, there is so much put into prevention. That shocks me. I don't think the average person really understands how much resources, whether it be personnel or financial, that go into prevention. And now, I mean, from a, from a safety standpoint, all the money and, and resources that are going into technology to, to even take the prevention even further, it's no wonder you don't see any regulators around there anymore. So uh, uh, just kind of final thoughts, anything that we um, missed out on, anything you want to reiterate? I'd like to give uh, guests kind of the final thoughts on things. That way there's not a question framed by me in any way. So the floor is yours, sir. Well, once again, thank you for taking the time to, to reach out to us. We, we think this is worthwhile. And one thing I've seen is that um, the oil industry, per se, has had zero uh, platforms in the past. And uh, which what, what you're doing and a few other folks are doing are creating some uh, using the technology we have to create these communication uh, modes that are very, very good for the industry. So I guess just from, from a standpoint, if somebody wants more information about us, they can reach out to www.pharmasafe.com. That's P-H-A-R-M-A-S-A-F-E.com. And uh, they can learn more information there. We're, we're, uh, we're very strong in LinkedIn and uh I just thank you for your time. I think you're doing a great thing, and uh, whatever I can do to help you promote what you're doing, uh, I'm here for you, and uh, just here to help everybody you know, go to work, be safe, and go home with all their fingers and toes and hug their family and barbecue and, and, and just enjoy life. So uh, thank you very much. And that was Doug Boisin with PharmaSafe Industrial Services. To listen to this full-length interview or other exclusive interviews, check out the Crude Life 
www.crudelifemedia.com. Multimedia Cafe is part of the Crude Life Media Network. All of our social media links and all of that good stuff about us and contacts and exclusive interviews and other programs are available at thecrudelife.com. My name is Jason Spies, and this is the Multimedia Cafe. Another sunny place, I'm lucky I know, but I want to go home. I miss you, you know. Let me go home. I'm just too far from where you are. Welcome back to the Multimedia Cafe. My name is Jason Spies. Thank you, folks, for pulling up a stool and joining the conversation here where you never know who you're going to run into or what we're going to talk about. Coming up next, we're going to talk with Jacob Manley, the owner-operator of Black Diamond Cattle Company. Uh, okay, so let's let's describe your... Uh, what, 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 what do you do in terms of uh, owner-operator of uh, this particular farm, ranch, whatever it might be? Um, I raise in background purebred Black Angus cattle. And that, you know, basically we're... We're looking at building a herd, so we're raising uh, basically what we want is heifers. Uh, on the bull side, we raise purebred Black Angus bulls and then sell them to commercial breeders to use back on their cattle. And right now we're in calving season, and so uh, talk to me about your calving process you have going on here today. Uh, basically, obviously we AI, like a bunch of other people do, just to get uh, our calves in a, in a closer uh, uh, calving date. Uh, that basically gives us about a 60-day calving window. Um, so first, you know, we have all of our AI calves are on the ground. So now it's just kind of a, a waiting game for the other roughly 50% to calve. What's the uh, uh, AI? That's artificial? Uh... Artificial insemination, yep. yep. Okay, that's what I thought. Artificial was the word I thought was A. Okay, so uh, ballpark cost on this uh, the, from the AI to, say, the feed portion. Sure. Um, roughly to feed like a cow through winter, you're looking at roughly about two bucks per head per day um, to feed her through the winter. Um, annually, probably about five hundred bucks to feed a cow. You know, raise a raise a cow. Um, on the AI side, straws of semen um, range anywhere from twenty bucks all the way up to say sixty bucks. And then you have like your cedar fees, which helps get the cows into heat to breed them and all that. So you're looking at about about seventy five to hundred bucks per head before the calf even hits the ground and then um yeah essentially once the calf hits the ground uh summer months you're looking at about a dollar 25 per head to raise to feed that you know that calf's mother to raise the calf up to weaning say in october mm-hmm. so and these are and then um when it comes to the nutrition side of things uh as i mentioned we we interviewed uh hay busters and i noticed you have a hay buster machine out here and then you've got the vertical, or the horizontal, the vertical part that's now gone. It's somewhere else. The TMI, I think it's yeah, called. Yeah, uh, yeah. Uh, total mix ration mixer. Yep, yep. Uh, just explain that process from the uh, hay busting to the vertical to the cows eating. Sure. Well, essentially what the hay buster does is just what you know, one name implies. It buck, uh, breaks up the hay so it's more palatable to the cattle. They seem to obviously eat more when, it, when it's mixed, chopped up like that. 
and then you take the hay and you put it in the TMR mixer with their their other feedstuffs, the higher protein like beet pulp and wet and dry distiller's grain, and it mixes all together. And then uh, then you feed it along a bunk line, and when it's all mixed like that, obviously palatability is huge, and the cows seem to eat it, eat a lot better and get the more important uh, stuff that they normally wouldn't if it wasn't all mixed. They would pick and choose between what they like if it wasn't. Yeah, and in fact, I read a study where those uh, big giant hay bales, uh, the round ones, when they're rolled out, the cattle just use the older hay as bedding, and then they eat the, the good stuff. Um, do you, now, uh, part of the story that we were doing is the uh, cost that is involved with the hay. Um, and with that study mentioned, do you find that busting up that hay is uh, improving your costs here? Oh, definitely. Uh, um, if, yeah, like you said, if you just roll out a bell of hay and they'll, they'll pick through it and they'll eat the good stuff. And, then, you know, essentially, if they're still hungry and they don't have other feed, they'll come back to the old stuff. But by grinding it up like this, they eat everything and you get about, say, just eating with uh, when you roll out a bell of hay, you're going to get probably about 15 percent. Uh, waste by them picking through them but this way they don't have the choice and they just eat it all mm-hmm. so essentially you would say 15 percent and and do you do the same with the dairy and the uh, angus yep yep definitely the only difference would be the amount of certain feedstuffs you know different different requirements at different stages of uh, growth so so really it is a stu- two-step process you have the, the hay busting side which just is, the, is one singular uniform process and then that vertical mixer is where you either put in some specified feedstocks for the dairy or specified feedstocks for the uh, Angus, depending on if you want more, I guess, lactose or you want more beef, huh? Uh, basically, it comes all about uh, protein, uh, how much protein they need on based on their age of growth. Obviously, growing heifers will need way more than when cattle or than uh, full-grown cows because they're growing. Um, essentially, they get, they get the same feedstuffs. It's just amounts on, on a per head you know, per head basis. So, yep. All right. Um, how many acres you got? Uh, this feedlot is only 17 acres. Um, so it's, you know, it's essentially just winter feeding or condensed feeding. Um, but then obviously we have about 200 acres of pasture for the summer months. And that being June 1st through October 31st. And, and they just, they, they run wild there and just graze? Uh, yeah, exactly. We cross fence it. So we utilize uh, pasture uh, to make sure they're, they're grazing not overgrazing certain spots, but yeah, they just run free and check on them every couple of days. And if we need to work them, we pull them in. So did you ever pick rocks as a kid? <laughs> yeah, a lot. I mean, that, that was our, that was our weekend chore that we actually got paid for. So yeah, a lot. <laughs> it's kind of a lot of people's first job. Was that your first job? Uh, that was one of the first responsibilities my dad gave me. It was, yeah, go, go, go pick rocks. And if he would, you know, he hit one with the chills or whatever, it was my fault. So, <laughs> <laughs> and uh, how old were you when you drove a tractor? Uh, 10 is the first time that, uh, my dad let me drive a tractor with, without him. So, yep. <laughs> and how old's your oldest now? Uh, my daughter is four. Yep. You ever see the day when she's 10 years old driving a tractor? Uh, I, I hope not. Uh, and if so, uh, she drives like me, not her mother. All right. Uh, do you plug your business? How does that work? Uh, you know, go ahead, plug your business. I don't know if you have a name for your business or not, or. Sure, it's essentially just a Black Diamond Cattle Company, and right now, um, yeah, we're just selling purebred Black Angus bulls to, to commercial breeders to use on their uh, use on their on their cattle. So, good enough. Thank you, man. Yeah, thank you. And that was Jacob Manley, the owner operator of the Black Diamond Cattle Company. He's out of Wheatland, Wyoming. He's also got another farm in Barnesville, Minnesota. All right, we'd like to thank Jacob Manley once again for joining the program. He's with the Black Diamond Cattle Company. Doug Voisin with PharmaSafe Industrial Services. 
and David Hang with Red Bullet Farms. Thank you very much for joining the Multimedia Cafe here today on this Monday, February 11th, Valentine's Day, three days away. There's your reminder. Pick up something. Uh, you know what I'm doing this year? I'm doing little kid Valentines. I'm going to shock a few people with some nice little kid Valentines. Maybe I'll get a stick of juicy fruit and put it in there. I know I'm only putting the first name and last initial. Or first name and the... First initial, your last name. That's what I'm going to do. All right. Well, I'll tell you what, folks. We'll see you tomorrow. Uh, we'll be back tomorrow on this radio station at this time. And for those of you who have downloaded us on iTunes or our website, thank you very much. Of course, all of that information is available at thecrudelife.com. From the staff at the Multimedia Cafe, my name is Jason Spies, asking you to savor life and enjoy the spice. Jason Spies, the most trusted voice in the Bakken. I totally agree with you, and the word that you brought into this is fact. You tell the facts, and then you let people make up their own minds. If you want someone who's competent, you don't want to get a bunch of rookies. Love listening to Jason Spies on the radio, and if I miss him there, I catch him online. Let's bring in Jason Spies, who is a multimedia journalist in North Dakota. Um, Jason, what's your thought on this? No one does an interview like Jason Spies. Is there anything I won't do for money? I think it's pretty obvious not. I'm shameless. I don't care. You want me to paint your cat's front claws? I'll do it. If the price is right. One time, I mowed my neighbor's five-acre lawn with a weed whacker for three bucks, and I earned it. You ever get stung by bees while cleaning the gutters? Have a Rottweiler do his business on you during a walk? One time, I was paid $400 to hit a realtor in the face with a pie. I'd like to get more pie work. Kids and capitalism. Over the past few months, I've told you about how unbelievable Hatch coaching is. Well, don't just take my word for it. Listen to what Greg Tavine of Emerging Prairies has to say about Hatch coaching. Yeah, I mean, this guy gets people laughing. He gets people thinking. He, he's somebody that challenges and inspires. And, and what I think is so beautiful about Eric is he's real. I think the number one thing that I look for in speakers when we bring them into our platforms is that they're that person 365 days a year. Eric is not just a speaker on a stage. That's, that's who he is at the grocery store. That's who he is when he's at the mall. Uh, but, but Eric is somebody that lives his values each and every day. 
And I, I think we can all respect that. To find out more about Hatch Coaching or to have Eric Hatch speak at your event or company, visit HatchCoaching.com. That's HatchCoaching.com. Or call 701-212-1572. That's 701-212-1572.